morning. Um, I've got a pleasure of um, just inviting Roy Warren, a friend of mine. Come on, come on up, Roy. Um, Roy hasn't been here uh, since we've been had all this done, um, but especially in the times when we were doing conferences as a church, Roy would be regularly part of the things that we were doing. So um, it's a little bit of a hospital pass, Roy, to get up and have to preach after, after we've just been praying into such a situation, but I know that God's going to bless you. Let me just pray for you. Father, we just thank you for the life that you give to humanity, Lord. Lord, it's not easy on this planet, and there are some real trouble spots in the world. And Roy's one who has a heart and a, uh, an interest and a, a, a willingness to go places into some of these hot spots and holds these things close to his heart. So I just pray your blessing on him as he shares this morning. Bless him, use him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank Pastor John. Yeah. Morning, church. Hi, Roy. I'd say it's an honor and a privilege to be with you again. And um, I've got some things to share from God's heart for you. Um, but before I do, um, Pastor John asked me just to uh, sort of give you an outline of what I've been up to uh, recently and the call of God on my life. Um, I know some of you may remember me that... Um, uh, I talked a bit a few years back about uh, my involvement with the gypsies, the gypsy revival. Uh, and even way back then, I, I had a heart for the persecuted. And as you can appreciate, maybe gypsies are one of the most persecuted na uh, uh, races in, in, in the world. But when a, a gypsy man and a gypsy woman get gloriously saved, they're then also persecuted by their own people. And so uh, I've seen persecution up close. What I'm involved with at this present time is an organization which is founded by myself a couple of years ago, a charity called Ezra Resources. Um, I don't know if my brother could just put the slide up, appreciate that. And Ezra Resources' his mandate is, is to be involved to support our brothers and sisters in, in the Middle East. And so, I, so I, I've been involved with Voice of the Martyrs now 15 years here in, in New Zealand. And at the moment, I presently serve voluntary as, as chairman uh, with the Voice of the Martyrs. Um, and so Ezra Resources works in partnership with Voice of the Martyrs and also an organization called Mayors Israel. And so as you appreciate, VOM covers persecution throughout the whole of the world. What's on my heart uh, is our brothers and sisters suffering in the Middle East. And so, as you, as you most probably know, the Middle East at the moment is, is quite a hot spot. But there's a lot of good news which don't get on the media. We hear a lot of bad news, even just recently in the last couple of days. You've heard the terrible actions have been going on in Syria. And um, there, you've got brothers and sisters right now that are suffering in Syria, not because of the bombing, uh, because of, of uh, Islam. Predominantly, Islam is, is the greatest threat to Christians in the Middle East. And um, so as we're resources, we support brothers and sisters that are suffering uh, in places like uh, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and also within Israel. You've got brothers and sisters that are suffering in Israel. You've got brothers and sisters suffering in the Gaza Strip and also the West Bank. But why I bring this news that you've got brothers and sisters suffering, God is at work powerfully. And I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you, especially hearing our brother and sister about how things are in South Africa in my experience, when, when there is forms of persecution, you, you know you're very close to revival. 
I was asked a couple of months ago, I was at a conference here in New Zealand, and uh, I, there was, in this conference there was a 10-minute slot where they interviewed me, and, and I was asked about, do, do I really believe that revival will come to New Zealand? Well, of, of course, uh, you lean to believe that because you, there's been prophecies. Even a man called Smith Wigglesworth, way back in 1923, prophesied that the Holy Spirit was going to move in power throughout New Zealand. And I have to say, I keep a very open mind, and I, and I, I like to believe that God is going to move powerfully through New Zealand. But I had to say, and um, some of you might not really like it, but I actually said, well... Um, the best thing that can happen to New Zealand if you really want a sovereign move of revival is that we get a good dose of persecution. <laughs> you know, seriously, I, 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 you don't want it, nor, nor do I. But in, in my experience, when, when you see persecution comes, I tell you when revival comes, you will have persecution. In every case where revival is breaking out in this world, uh, there comes persecution. You only have to look at the New Testament church. And so some of you might be longing and desiring and praying for revival. And I'm not talking about a church trebling in its numbers in a matter of days. I'm not talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about a sovereign move of God where communities are transformed by the power of God. So I'm not even talking about manifestation power here and healings. I'm talking about where communities are transformed. Where if communities are transformed, you will get persecution. And I have to say that what's on my heart for you this morning is that in the midst of persecution, you can really know that God will never leave you or forsake you. And what's happening at the moment uh, in, in Syria, there is revival. Right now there's revival in Iraq, there is revival in Afghanistan, there's revival breaking out in Israel. Let me just take you for Israel, for example. The media slag off Israel. The, the New Zealand government are not very fond of the Israeli government. And in some cases, I understand all of that, the politics of, of that. But you've got brothers and sisters in Israel that are being persecuted, even in Israel. But what is actually happening as I speak now, God is moving so powerfully that many Jews are coming to know Yeshua as their saviour. Okay, many, many Jews are coming to know Jesus. And at the same time, in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, many Arab Christians, uh, sorry, many Arabs are becoming Christians. And one of the privileges that I like working with Mayos is that there is such a revival that you can see that the gospel actually works. You can see that, that you've got Jews that have come to know Yeshua as their Messiah, called Messianic Jews, worshipping and praying alongside Arab Christians. See, Jesus is the one that can bring true reconciliation to the Middle East. And so Ezra Resources is raise awareness. We're living in exciting days. I tell you, we're living in very prophetic key days. And some of the things I do in teaching is raising awareness that right now, verses of Scripture in Isaiah are starting to be fulfilled. There is God's word is starting to come alive in the Middle East. So... Um, why am I here this morning? I've got something from God's heart. We're going to get into God's word in a minute. But um, uh, for those that are interested in the persecuted church, who've got a heart for the Middle East, your brothers and sisters, then on the way out there is free literature on, on the left on the table. Feel free to, to help yourself to the newsletters. Um, and I'm actually taking an expedition in October to Israel. I'm doing a tour of Israel. Um, and if you've got a heart for Israel... And, and would like to, to go to some of these churches that are in revival, right in the West Bank, where, where you're seeing Jews and Arab Christians coming together 
then part of the tour is, is to really show that, hey, that, that God is powerfully moving in these days. So if you've got an interest in walking where Jesus walked and seeing some of the scenes and sites, maybe some of you as a church want like to come as a group, you're more than welcome. And if you give, give your names to my wife, Valerie, on the way out, we, we'll get literature to you. The tour is going to go in about October time, so you've got plenty of time to think about that. But I didn't come here to to promote Ezra Resources. I came here to share God's heart with you. So if you have your Bibles, let's go into Acts chapter 21. And being a missionary day is that, in my experience, that when you really get to the coalface in evangelism, you can expect you know, to be persecution. And uh, some of you are sitting there this morning and you've got a heart for mission. Some of you may not. Um, but I, what I'm going to read this morning is because the God that I serve is in the business of redeeming time. And that's the top of my, my message this morning is redeeming time. Paul talks about redeeming time. So I'm just going to read a few verses just to give you a flavor of uh, what um, Paul had. And I'm sure you're very familiar with that. We're going into Acts chapter 21 and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 22. Just a few verses and we're breaking into where uh, Paul is in Jerusalem, and people are not very happy with Paul. Um, and so we're breaking at verse 30. And, the, and all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together and seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him, and the commander, uh, uh, they commanded him to be bound with two chains. Uh, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried out one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the, of the noise, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. And then just jumping into chapter 22, and of course Paul's told them about uh, his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And this is the latter part of that, as he says, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, this is Paul speaking, and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him, that is Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quick, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed... I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they that listened to him until this word, then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out, they tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. That's just a little snapshot of what Paul went through. Some of you who are familiar with the New Testament are familiar that Paul was beaten with rods numerous times and he was stoned and, and, and that he, he was beaten around the book, he had, uh, beaten around the block and, and he had uh, various shipwrecks. And so it was not a picnic to follow Jesus at the time of Paul. And I just want to make a reference here to this Ephesians 5. It's where my text is. And it's to do with where Paul's talking 
uh, about redeeming time. In, in, in Ephesians 5, and I'm reading in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time. Now, maybe right now, this morning, you've never had a real good dose of persecution. Maybe the stuff, things that I've read about Paul and some of the things I mentioned in what's happening in the Middle East uh, can be like a million miles away. But right now, you might be experiencing some of the same feelings as your brothers and sisters are the other side of the world. What I mean by that is that maybe right now, this morning, what you're going through, you feel forsaken. Maybe things in the past, what you've been through, maybe you just feel that, hey, why didn't God turn up? Why didn't God intervene? Why, why, you know, Lord, I believe you're all-powerful. Lord, I, I believe that your arm is long. I, I believe you're a God of miracles. You know, you, we, we can sing it, we can preach it. But maybe where you are right now this morning, just because of the hits you've taken, because what you've been going through, what you, where you are right now this morning, maybe you're sitting there and, and you do feel forsaken. Where are you, God? Now, it's not that you're questioning, questioning your salvation or even question that God cares. But maybe you just the reality is that, look, Roy, I, I need a miracle. I, I, I need you to intervene. Just like brothers and sisters right now in Syria are praying, God, intervene. Just as you've got brothers and sisters in the Gaza Strip saying, pray, God, intervene. You know, I, there's only one Baptist church in, in the Gaza Strip. And I know the pastor, or the old pastor who's been there, he had to flee, he had to go into Jordan. He, today he lives in America. There's only one Baptist church in the Gaza Strip. Today, their persecution is not coming from the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, on the, on the border. Their threat is not from Jews in Israel. Their threat is from Hamas. You've got Muslims that have become gloriously saved, hallelujah, and they meet in a Baptist church in the Gaza Strip and their own people are persecuting them. Muslims are persecuting them. Hamas, who govern the West Bank, are persecuting them. I'm not going to go into details of what's going on in that church, but it's not pretty. Who would like to come with me to the Gaza Strip for two or three days, huh? It takes, by the way, it takes six months to get a visa to get in, and it takes two months to get a visa to get out. That's even before you can think about going. It's not the best place in the world, but you've got brothers and sisters, Baptist brothers and sisters, who hold dearly the same values as you, will most probably feel the same as you right now, that maybe think, God, where are you? You abandoned me. Feel forsaken. And Paul actually, at the time when he, in the New Testament church, he writes the church at Corinth. He talks uh, about four challenges that actually come upon Christians. He talks about there'll be times when you're going to be hard-pressed, times when you're going to be perplexed, times when you're going to be struck down. But he also says times when you're going to be persecuted. And Paul's response to when you are persecuted, he reminds them, persecuted but not forsaken. What can happen is that when you're persecuted, you can feel forsaken. 
In fact, you can feel that God has forsaken you. And maybe right now, outside of persecution in New Zealand, where you've got everything on tap, eh, things are cushy. All right, winter's coming, real hard deal, but you've got central heating or you've got some kind of heating, you've got clothes. You can be fairly comfortable in a nice room building like this. You can still feel forsaken. Even without persecution, you can still feel forsaken. With persecution, you can feel forsaken. That's why, you know, the, the author of, of Hebrews, some say the author of Hebrews was Apollo, Apollos. Some say it was Paul. I mean, the scholars still debate who the author was. At the, at the end of the day, we read in Hebrews 13.3, remember those that are in prison as if you were chained with them. Our heartbeat, the fact that you've got brothers and sisters that are suffering and feel forsaken. They need to know that they're remembered by the church because they're most probably struggling. Well, God, have you forsaken me? Think about it. That's under persecution right now. Without persecution, maybe you feel forsaken that God has not answered that prayer. Or God has not intervened in your marriage. Or God has not intervened with your health. Or God has not intervened in the circumstances around your family. Or intervened regarding a job, etc. And I'm not making light of these needs that you have. I'm just saying, as week full as week and month full as month, you think, well, God, um, am I forsaken? Well, of course, we know what God's word says, don't we? I will never leave you or forsake you. God's word is true. I want to encourage you this morning. God will never, never, never forsake you. Can I just get a little amen? You know, there are real issues when we talk about redeeming the time. Do you know, just a few weeks ago, um, we played around with a few clocks, didn't we? I don't know if in your house, but uh, we we put the clocks back an hour. And, um, you know, that's not redeeming the time. (laughs) Um, you know, when we put the clocks back, just, just the raising of a finger, we move the clock back round and we might change the digital clocks. And when we wake up in the morning, we think, oh, wow, I've had an extra hour in bed. No, you haven't. Basically, we're fooling ourselves. All we're doing is manipulating time. We're not changing time. And, and some of you might be thinking, like I think, Lord, why don't you just put the clock back maybe 10 years? Why don't you put the clock back so I can be a teenager again? You know, you're, you're God, you're outside of time. You know, we, we play around with one hour and we think an extra hour in bed. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we're not really changing time, are we? And all we're doing is manipulating our habits and our behavior. You know, we might feel that we've had an extra hour in bed, but really, we, we, we haven't. You know, we're just lying to ourselves. It's not seven o'clock, it's really eight o'clock, but we're telling ourselves it's seven o'clock. Yeah, you get it. But, you know, with, with God, you know, um, I'm going to tell you this. He, he will never put the clock back for you. He never did it for Hezekiah. You know, when Hezekiah, you know, was dying, and the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, prepare, you're going to die, get your house in order. He turns to the wall and he cries and he cries out to God. And by the time Isaiah's got across the palace courtyard, 
halfway, he's tapping his eye on the shoulder, so you better turn around and tell and speak into his life because he's been praying. God does not change his mind. God is all-knowing, so God does not change his mind. So Isaiah goes back, and you know the story. Okay, he wants a sign, and it's easy for the, for the sun shadow to go forward up, up, up the stairs or, or around the dull on the clock, but hey, let, let's, let's take it back. And so we see that the shadow goes back. What is God doing? Is God putting time back? No, he's not. He's doing something supernatural in the present. It's the same with Joshua. You remember when Joshua needs an extra day because he's in a battle? God, God doesn't stop the clock. Okay, he, he's, he works supernaturally in the moment. And I want to say to you now, maybe you're looking back in your past, and, Lord, it would be great you know, if you could just take me back to 18 again or... Just take me back 10 years and so I don't make those mistakes. Well, God's never going to do that. You know why? Because he doesn't need to. The God you serve does not need to alter time. It's outside of time. What God can do, he can actually do right now in the present that will surpass everything in your past. Everything. The damage, the mistakes, the lost opportunities... The God that I serve is able to restore all the years that the locusts of Eden. Okay? He is the God of the now, the I am. Of course, we love to think, oh, Roy, I wish, wish I was young again. You know, you know, maybe I'm the only one in the room that crosses my mind. I want to be young again. You know, especially when you're hitting these landmark uh, uh, birthdays, John, eh? <laughs> you know, well, here we come again. You know, where's the years gone? And I, and I don't make light of that, that sentiment or nostalgia. I have to say there is no room for nostalgia and sentiment in the kingdom of God. There isn't. That's robbed a lot of Christians because of sentiment and nostalgia. There isn't room for that. And I'm not pushing that. What I'm saying, I understand when we look back and you think, you know, oh Lord, if, if, if I only had stepped out in faith then, if only I'd spoken the word then, if I only had been strong and courageous and stood up for you and rather than shiver away and not say nothing. I tell you, I, I, I have to say I've had to do a lot of repenting in, in my time, let, let alone with, with, the, with the lost opportunities with the gypsies because um, of persecution. But it, even as a young man on a building site, when I should have stood for the Lord, I didn't. You know, I shriveled. You know, and it doesn't matter how hard I pray or what spiritual somersaults I do, I, I can't relive that. I can't go back and relive it and put it right. But hallelujah, that no longer has a, a hold over me. You know, and as some of you have got some real hard memories of the past, it no longer has a hold over you. So Paul talks about redeeming the time. And, and God is able to redeem the time for you. Even if you're looking at your life and you think, well, I've had two-thirds of my life and I've just got another third left. And wow, maybe less. And you're thinking, what I can do with it? I, I want to say that, that the God that I serve is the God of the now. And he's able to restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. And what happens when you're persecuted you're thinking basically that God is most probably past you by. A lot of the brothers and sisters that, that are suffering, their biggest issue is not that God has abandoned them. The fact is they think that the church has forgotten them. That's one of the biggest, that the church has forgotten them. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, because I don't want to embarrass anyone, but how many of you really knew that you actually had a Baptist church in the Gaza Strip? I, uh, I asked the powers to be in the Baptist movement of New Zealand. They didn't even know. 
you had a Baptist church in the Gaza Strip. I'm just using that as an example. Now, how do you feel that you've got a brothers and sisters living in the Gaza Strip being persecuted by Hamas and are suffering, and the old pastor got, you know, had to flee for his life and with his two daughters and, and now living in America? And that brother was so, so uh, ashamed that he had to live with his two daughters. He goes back twice a year, back to the Gaza, sneaks into the Gaza to bring aid to his brothers and sisters into the church. He's no longer the pastor. There is another pastor. Redeeming the time. So where am I going with this? Well, let's, let's quickly look at Paul. You see, because I think Paul's a wonderful example. And, and here in this scenario, in Acts chapter 21... He, he even had a prophecy. I mean, Agapus really spoke into his life. He had a word of knowledge. And that didn't shift Paul. Paul still ended up going. And, and here we're picking up the story that um, he ends up going to a place called Caesarea. Paul is taken to Caesarea because there was 40 Jews that had made an oath that they would not eat or drink until they've killed Paul. So I think it ended badly for those 40 guys, don't you think? <laughs> Uh, how long can you go without eating and drinking? But these 40 guys made an oath, ironically, to Yahweh, to take Paul out. So Paul is actually taken to Caesarea. Now, this is quite important for us. I just want you to imagine. Paul. So Paul is now in Caesarea. He's in the palace complex, the garrison at Caesarea, a beautiful, massive city. Uh, and... And there he is with Felix. And you know the story that Felix calls to call him. And, and so Paul starts to tell him about, you know, Christianity, talking about the Lord. And, and Paul and, and Felix actually trembles. He gets started to get convicted of sin and tells him to go away. And so Felix calls him back over a period of time, only wanting to bribe. He, what, what, what it was about, that if, if, if Paul said, look, you know, if I give you X, you know, will you let me go? Felix would off. The Bible talks about that. But he doesn't. Paul has integrity, the fact that he, he's not going to bribe us because I'm here to serve the Lord. And so what happens, he stays two years in Caesarea. Now, think about it a moment. The Apostle Paul was very active apostle, pioneering churches. He pioneered seven churches in ancient Mani. You know, he's all his journeys, his missionary journeys. Well, this part of the time in his life is in Caesarea for two years, going nowhere. Now, how would you feel as a Christian believer? I, I want to cut, you know, I, I want to really be involved, I want to be at the cold place. And that was in Paul's heart. I mean, Paul had a heart for the persecuted. He had a heart for the churches in Corinth and Thessalonica, all over Greece and places like in Asia Minor. And here it is, two years, wasting his time with a guy called Felix that all Felix wants was a bribe. And then two years passes and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favour, left Paul bound. So even when Felix moves on and a guy called Paul Festus comes along, uh, basically nothing has changed. Now, how would you feel about the clock ticking? All right, he wasn't in chains, he wasn't in prison, he wasn't being tortured, things like that. But nearly every day it might have been the same. Do you ever feel that, that you're in the rat race, every day's the same, and you, you want revival, you want to see God move sovereignly in your life, and it seems that every day is the same? 
And the clock is ticking, you're getting older, it's another birthday, and it's another birthday, it's another Christmas, it's another Easter, it's another Passover, and it goes on, and nothing really changed. Routine. And, it's, and for a lot of people, they're quite happy with that, but maybe not for you. And you need God to intervene. You want God to intervene. But here, it's not happening for Paul. And even when King Agrippa comes and, and listens to Paul, and Paul tells about the Damascus experience with Jesus, Paul doesn't, oh, you know, Paul is punches. He's giving it to him straight. And in all of this, he appeals to Caesar. And the Bible gives us this commentary that if Paul had not appealed to Caesar, he could have been let go. He would have been a free man. But because he appealed to Caesar, he finds himself on a boat, a ship, and you know the story, he's in a storm for 14 days, ends up in a shipwreck, and he ends on a place called Malta. You think, come on, Paul, you must have made a wrong decision there. I mean, this is his fourth shipwreck, for goodness sake. He's already had three. This is his fourth one. But he's just going with the flow. Because what's happening... He understands about God is redeeming the time in his life as long as he's in his will. And as long as he's open, available to the Holy Spirit, then hey, the time he's been redeemed yeah. in the purposes of God. It's not dead time. It wasn't a wasted two years. It wasn't a wasted trip to Malta. Do you know what happens on Malta? You think it was just a shipwreck? God's sovereign will happens is that Paul turns up on Malta and revival breaks out. Because of a shipwreck. If, if, if there was no shipwreck, if Paul carried on board, then, then Mordor would have not received salvation. Of course, and when he gets to Rome, the Bible tells us this. Why, why is Paul on this? Why, why, why is Paul sort of, you know, though he's a busy bunny, he, he, he's just quite okay. God's redeeming the time. It's because the day he was arrested in Jerusalem, you read the commentary there in Acts. He says that the Lord appeared to him and says that you must appear and represent me in Rome. The Lord tells him you're going to go to Rome. So it's in his heart now, even though he spends two years in Caesarea, he knows that one day I'm going to be in Rome. God's put it on my heart. I'm going to be, the Lord wants me in Rome. And after a shipwreck and after a revival with Malta, eventually he gets to Rome. And you think, well, maybe this is it, Paul. This is, this is the pinnacle of your ministry. You're going to really push the boat out here. And revival's going to break out in Rome, as it did in Corinth and Thessalonica and places like that. No. The last chapter in Acts, he's left in house guard, renting his own place. But he's redeeming the time. Come with me to the last chapter in Acts. Let's just pick up. So he gets there to Rome. And he's not a free man. He's under house arrest. Okay, he rents his accommodation. People come, but look here, right at the end of it, here in verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years, let alone the two years in Caesarea, in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. So Paul was free. He was under house arrest. He couldn't leave the house. He had to stay there. But what was happening? God was redeeming the time in Paul's life. Just as God can do that for you. And why am I sharing this? Is because what can happen, you can feel isolated, abandoned, forsaken when you don't see that miracle, that sovereign intervention 
that we long for, either it be uh, to do with our finances or our health or to do with our family or even in the life of the church. God will never leave you or forsake you. As I sort of get to the back straight on, on what God's laid on my heart, is that God was redeeming the time, not only in Paul's life, but at people around Paul. And a lot can happen under persecution. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you would react under persecution. I, I, I don't want you to raise hands and that, what you think you could do. But none of us wants persecution. None of us wants to suffer, yeah? None of us wants to be martyred, unless you've got a death wish, obviously. But, uh, um, and, and I'm not making light of that. I'm sort of saying that you know, what we need is a good dose of persecution if you want revival. You, you can't separate. If God's going to move sovereign, in sovereign power through this nation, right, and the whole community is going to be transformed, to a lot of Christians, it's going to be an inconvenience. To a lot of Christians, it will be. Because if you think you can go on automatic pilot every Sunday, come along here at 10 o'clock and go home and have your dinner and carry on, then you, you will not see revival. For a lot of Christians, revival will be an inconvenience. On top of that, a good dose of persecution where your friends and your relatives will nothing to do you with, with you. They will ostracize you. That's a form of persecution. Persecution is not all about being put in prison and being locked up and the key being thrown away. Persecutions is when your loved ones say, we don't want to see you anymore for what you stand for, what you represent. And that's why Paul says persecuted but not forsaken. See, many, many Jews that became Christians in the New Testament were forsaken by their relatives. One of the revivals that's happening, well, it is a revival that's happening in, in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Have you heard of the ultra-Orthodox Jews? They're known as the harem. Basically, they believe that they are pure Jews. They can follow their sort of tribal right back to the 70 AD. What happens is that when a son uh, of an ultra-Orthodox Jew gets gloriously saved, becomes a Messianic Jew, recognizes Yeshua, they no longer have a family. The dad will rent his garment. He no longer has a son. They're thrown out and ostracized completely. And so they literally have to rebuild their lives. And there's a lot of Messianic Jews that don't have relatives anymore. That's serious, isn't it? That is a form of persecution. Now, where I'm going with this is that Paul... Let's jump to, to Timothy. And, and, and because I, I really want to encourage you this morning that, that whatever you're going through, the God that I serve is so, so faithful. He will not abandon you. Okay? And you don't have to be super spiritual for God to intervene. You don't have to have buckets and buckets of faith to see God intervene. <laughs> A lot of people think you do, but you don't. And, and here God is with you right now, whatever you're going through, feeling forsaken, battered and bruised. And here I just want to pick it up in, at a key moment in Paul's life. Most scholars say that 2 Timothy was most probably the last uh, letter that Paul ever wrote. Some say possibly Titus. But what we do agree on, most theologians agree on, that 2 Timothy was most probably penned about two months before he was martyred, before he was executed. And we get a, a sort of snapshot of this in verse 6. We're in 2 Timothy 4. And I just want to read, you must be very familiar with it. 
But there's a couple of things in here. I, I just want the Holy Spirit to amplify into your spirit this morning. He says in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, you need to understand that this is not at the end of the two years in Acts. He was released, and scholars believe there was a period of maybe another four or five years, up to eight years. Possibly he may have gone to Spain. He comes back. The, the, the scriptures are quiet on it, silent on it. But 2 Timothy, it's, it's, they believe, scholars believe it was around about 68 AD. So we're talking that it's most probably between four to eight years at the close of Acts, the book of Acts that was written by Luke. And what we have here is that Paul is saying, okay, time is up. Okay, I'm going home here. And he says, look, finally, there is laid up for me, verse 8, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, uh, to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, why I'm sharing this is that in this very chapter, there is a glimpse of where you can say, Paul knew what it was like to be forsaken. Because if you go to verse 16, he says this, and this would have been at the time at the end of Acts, the, the, the book of Acts. At my first defense, look, he says, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Have you got that? Now, Paul was never alone. You got that? When he, even before he gets to Rome, if you follow the commentary in Acts, even before he gets to the city of Rome, the Christians heard that he was coming, came out and met him. And so he had companions, he had teams. I mean, Luke was his physician who travelled with him on many of his missionary journeys. So I ask this, I'm not throwing stones at the character of Luke, but ask yourself this question. The author of Acts, though the one that wrote the Gospel of Luke, where was he when Paul needed him? Hello, church. He says, all forsook me. Well, Luke was with him, but calling it to Paul, nah, he ran out on me. He forsook me. He left me. They all forsook me. Paul knew what it was like to be forsaken. But look what he continues to say. And this should bless you, so it blesses me. He says in verse 17, but... The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And you got that? Even though everyone else forsook me, the Lord was faithful. He stood with me. And I want to say right now, even if you feel that your parents have forsaken you, your loved ones have forsaken you, or the pastor doesn't understand, and even the cat doesn't care anymore, <laughs> there is one that will stand with you. There is one that will never forsake you, even if you mess up big time. The Lord Jesus Christ stood with Paul. He said, all forsook me. Well, as we know that, dear old Luke, he, 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 he was around. Because even in this chapter, and, I, and, I, and I'm not here to do a character assassination on Luke. I just want to say, this is how it is. Luke redeemed the time. Luke redeemed it. He redeemed the time because if you read here in verse 11, okay, only Luke is with me. So this time around, Luke is there. The first time he wasn't, he, 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 he lost it for whatever reason. We, I don't know. 
But this time, Luke says, no, no, I, 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 I'm going to stand with you, Paul, mate. This time, I, I'm not. And one other person is here. Do you remember the big ding-dong between Paul and Barnabas? Can you remember that big ding-dong that they had? Who was it over? It was over a guy called John Mark. John Mark said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. John Mark, he wanted to go home. Now, I'm not making light of that, and I'm not trying to criticise John Mark. There were reasons, real issues. He didn't want to go to Cyprus. I'm, no, no, no. Oh. But he abandoned them. Paul says, you know, come with this. It's not going to work. So, you know, the story. John Mark, he left them. And there's a good chunk there. In Scripture, we can get a good handle on what happened. Some say Paul handled it badly. Others say Paul handled it well. I mean, it all depends how you want to look at it. I, I, I'm not here to address the pastoral side of Paul. <laughs> but here we have something amazing here because that same verse, in verse 11, only Luke is with me, but get Mark. The very one that abandoned him and caused a load of grief between him and Barnabas, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me in the ministry. John Mark had redeemed the time. You know, I want to say it's not too late if you've screwed up, messed up, blown it big time. Feel abandoned. Feel, I want to tell you, God still wants to use you. God desires to use you. Do you know you can do more now in the rest of your life than you've done in the entire time that you've been alive up to now? Do you know you, 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 you can sow seeds in these days, be sacrificial and, and, and support brothers and sisters and, and live for the Lord where the fruit you produce has eternal value? I said this about Pastor John oh, a while back, a few years back. About the fact that when, when we get to glory and we've been there thousands and thousands and thousands of years, they'll still be talking about the fruit that Brother John has been ministered. The same with you. How about that? Fruit that has eternal value. So even after a million years in God's presence, the fruit that you was involved in is still there. Hey, come on, that's good, eh? That's, that's what I call redeeming the time, don't you? And so as I conclude, yeah, you have brothers and sisters that are suffering around. I'm not asking for, to support me. I'm not here to do that. But I'm saying this. Maybe you too this morning in New Zealand do feel abandoned. Abandoned the fact that maybe God is not with you in your situation. That God is not going to intervene. You just say, Lord, I'll do something with the time. Let me have my miracle now. I don't want to wait another week. You know, maybe I'm the only one in the room. But, you know, what I'm saying is, is, is that you get to that place where you, you go on so long, you just say, Lord, come on. <laughs> you know, bring it forward. Hey, bring that miracle forward. You know, God's never early. He's never late. He's always on the button, isn't he? Always on time. Isn't that, isn't that frustrating? <laughs> you know, and I, I just want, this morning, whatever you're going through, because uh, I'm going to make an appeal in a, in a moment because... You know, I don't want you to leave this place thinking nothing's changed. You see, maybe you're not persecuted like our brothers and sisters are in some parts of the world. Not only the Middle East, but in places like China and, and Africa. There's, there's, there's terrible things going on. And I'm not making light of all of that because it is bad. But for you, what you're going through, maybe you too feel really abandoned. Not persecuted, but abandoned. Well, the Lord will not abandon you. 
the God that I serve is absolutely faithful. He's absolutely sovereign. And he's going to have the last word regarding you. Did you know that? Not the devil. The God that you serve, the God that you love, is sovereign. And, and, and even though there's a lot of uncertainty for you in the future and how it's going to pan out, I'm going to tell you, God's going to stand with you, just as he stood with Paul. Everybody else abandoned Paul, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord will be with you in the darkness, in the storm, with a broken heart. He, he will be there because the God that I serve is so, so faithful. Yeah. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity of sharing your heart with your people this morning. And many of us are on our own journey. And some of us this morning may be in a good place and, and, and we can rejoice. But Lord, there are others like my brothers and sisters who come from South Africa that, Lord, they've got miracles, testimonies of wonderful things you've done. But also there is pain there. And what you're doing in South Africa, what's happening in South Africa is heartbreaking. And even now, even in the Middle East, even at the world stage, it's maybe on the brink of, of, of war. Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, right now, that, Lord, need that miracle. Where they feel maybe that you've abandoned them, Lord, but your word says you will never leave us or forsake us. I pray, Lord, for fresh revelation. That, Lord, they can leave this place knowing that you're in control, Lord. That you're going to have the last word. That you're such a faithful God. And that, Lord, they are not forsaken. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to make a straight and appeal. I'm going to hand back to the team. But look, if, if, if you really just need that confirmation in your spirit that when you leave this place that God is with you, all I'm going to ask you is come, come forward and I'll come and just pray with you and minister, not to counsel or talk about it, but if you just bring that circumstance, whatever's going through, just stand at the front. Uh, Pastor John, as well, we'll just come and just pray into it, just seeing it. So the Holy Spirit in the coming days, will give you a confirmation, a clear confirmation that he is sovereign over whatever you're going through. So you know, you absolutely know that you're not alone, that you haven't been abandoned. Amen. Thanks, team. Okay.